Amen. Thank you. All right. You guys ready? Psalm 72. If you want to have your Bible open, uh, we're going to walk through this this morning after I do a brief introduction on the Psalms. My name is Justin, and I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the Valley. And uh, as you can already uh, imagine, we are going to spend the summer walking through the Psalms. This has been a tradition of ours uh, since we began back in 2015. Uh, we chose to take our summers and utilize our summers as a way of walking through the Psalms in consecutive order. If you know anything about the Psalms, it's not like they build on one another, kind of like the Gospel of John, where kind of it's an unfolding story. Uh, the Psalms are like a collection of the greatest hits of the Songs of David, right? And so we, we have this, this collection, and we're, we're walking through these Psalms together. And so we just said, uh, let's start at Psalm 1, and let's just continue every summer and see how far we get. We get. And so I think we started at Psalm 1, and we got to like Psalm 13 uh, the first summer, and then we picked up Psalm 14, and we got to Psalm 20-something. Well, we're, we're up to Psalm 72, and I think we're going to make it to Psalm 79 by the end of the summer. And, uh, and what's awesome about that is you, you don't get to kind of pick and choose kind of how, how you uh, are going to jump in and what's going to surface at whatever period of time we kind of find ourselves here in the middle of summer. And so what's interesting is, is just finding and discovering how is God speaking to us in the midst of this psalm. And so uh, this morning, Psalm 72, and I, I just want to encourage you this summer, as we walk through the Psalms, you'll know where we are. Uh, we post that on social media. It comes out on our emails every week. Um, but I would encourage you to read along with us this summer and uh, make it a commitment to spend some time in the Psalms with us. Uh, there are several reasons that the Psalms are helpful, and I, I'm going to remind us just as a brief introduction to the Psalms, and I do this reminder every year because a lot of times we have a lot of new folks stepping in, a lot of new people kind of stepping into this rhythm with us. And it's important to understand like, what are we, what are we learning from the Psalms? The Psalms are different genre of scripture, okay? And so we need to understand how to, to read these and, and how to be changed and transformed by them. And, uh, and so Tim Keller has done a lot in in uh, in and has been shaped a lot by the Psalms, and so Tim Keller made a resolution almost thirty years ago. He since several weeks ago, as Josh mentioned a few weeks ago, he since passed away from cancer. Uh, but uh, thirty years ago, he made a resolution that he would read through the Book of Psalms all one hundred and fifty chapters each month. So each month, covering all one hundred and fifty. And he said he would just begin to devour these, just to, to mine out all of the gold that he could possibly find out of each of the Psalms. And so uh, he kind of crafted some reasons and some, uh, some, some ways in which the Psalms are very helpful. And so I've used some of his language to kind of craft some of this and, and ultimately to discover why, why is it important for us? Why would we spend a significant part of our year walking through the Psalms. And so first thing is this, we want to and we desire to be, we want to be and we desire to be an authentic community, an authentic community. 
Uh, we want to be honest with one another. We want to be honest with where we are emotionally, physically, spiritually. We want to be able to say and communicate things that maybe uh, we don't know. Like we, we put a filter on some of our language and, and we think that we need to walk in. And particularly when we walk in a church, that uh, we walk in with language kind of like, you know, too blessed to be depressed, right? You know, and we feel like we got to put on a smile and, and put on, you know, our, our best attitude. And in some ways, the Psalms kind of reveal some emotions of the heart that aren't always too blessed to be depressed. Like sometimes we're going to read about the real stressors and the real pain and the real anguish of people that are, that are seeking and expecting and desiring to hear from God, but he seems distant and he seems far. And I'm sure many of us have been there. And so if you've walked in a church and you're going, man, it just seems like everybody has it all together. It seems really polished. The Psalms kind of reveal that we don't have it all together. And I think what it does for us is it allows us to kind of drop that filter a little bit and kind of move into a place of going, I don't have to have it all together. So if you're here this morning, I hope that's an encouragement to you, that you don't have to have it all together, that if we're honest with one another, that the Psalms will actually kind of shape our lament and kind of shape our prayer in life and give voice to that, okay? Here's the Tim Keller aspect of that. He said, the psalmist, despite their intensity and shocking candor, always pour out their white hot feelings to God. No matter how angry or despondent you may be, if you use the psalms of lament to give you words for your prayers, you will in no sense feel stifled or bottled up. Rather, the language of the laments are so startling that they will probably help you to be more honest about your emotions than you would have been. But the laments don't just help us to be emotionally honest. They help us bring ourselves to a real God. Our great danger is in the midst of our pain, we forget or deny that there is a God of wisdom, a God of power, a God of goodness and the psalmist struggle as much as any of us will nevertheless, they, they draw us back toward that reality and they anchor us in the fact that there is a God who cares. Let's cry out to him. So we want to be an authentic community. The second thing is this. We want to learn how to talk to God. If any of us are here and you're, you're going, man, I don't know how to pray. I don't know. My, my prayer life, it just seems clunky. I remember first becoming a Christian and it, it seems like the student ministry that I was in when I, I came to faith when I was 18 years old, and I grew, like, at that point, I was in a student ministry at a church, and they would end every Wednesday night kind of huddled up in smaller groups in prayer circles, and this was the most intimidating thing in the world for me because I'm a new believer thinking I got to communicate to a God I barely know, and I'm supposed to gather up with my friends and give language to something that I'm feeling, and I'm going, how in the world does this work, right? Well, the Psalms give us some, some instruction on that. The Psalms, they're simply prayers. They're simply voicing our concerns. Can we tell God we love him? Absolutely. Can we share with him our deepest fears? Absolutely. Can we ask that he triumph over our enemies? Absolutely. Can we thank him for the morning sunrise and the beauty of the Bible? Yes, yes, yes. The Bible gives, the Psalms give language to our prayers. 
The third thing is this. We want to be pointed to Jesus. We want to be pointed to Jesus. The Psalms point us to Jesus. The Psalms are quoted in the New Testament more than any other book in the Old Testament. Okay? The Psalms were precious to Jesus. The Psalms were precious to Paul. The Psalms were precious to the gospel writers. This is not only because the Psalms are a little Bible, the way kind of Martin Luther put it, but also because they point, the Psalms point us to the ultimate fulfillment of the Psalm, which is Jesus. We're going to see that in our Psalm today. Because we're going to see that this is written about a person. This is written to a person. But in many ways, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of it. We're going to see over and over and over again, as we read the Psalms, that these Psalms come true in the person of Jesus. Okay? They point us to Jesus. Lastly, we want to learn how to worship. It gives us a deeper sense of worship. That's what poetry does, right? Uh, we were with a couple the other night. We, uh, we didn't know, but we got invited to go out on their anniversary dinner with them. And uh, we we're like, hey, you, gotta, you guys got to have another anniversary dinner. But I asked like, hey, what are some songs that have been iconic in your marital relationship? Okay. Now, I won't embarrass them and tell you what those songs were. Um, but there's moments in life you look back and you're like, man, that song just has a punch, right? Like it just draws you back to an emotion or a time. And if you heard that song play today, it would kind of take you back to a time in the past. And you'd be like, oh, I remember. I remember where I was when I first heard that song or listened to that song. And, and that's kind of like, because it evokes emotion, that's what poetry does. Poetry, what we're reading here in the Psalms, it evokes emotion and it helps us and moves us and postures us uh, in a place of feeling. It helps us feel. Now, it's easy. We got a lot of thinkers. Just give me more information, right? Like the, the reformed community of churches, our, our community and family of churches out in the world, we're great thinkers. We're not great feelers. In some ways, we, we reject some of the things of emotion because we're like, well, that can be abused. And, you know, there's, there's tons of scriptures that say don't trust your heart, you know, like don't follow your heart. But there's also things like the wellspring of life flows from the heart. Like, so ignoring your emotions is unhealthy too. We want to know how to worship. We want to know how to feel. We are not fully loving and worshiping God unless we're doing it with our heart with our soul and with our mind, okay? And so like intellectually, we can, yes, I grasp God is a great God, but do I feel like he's a great God? Do I experience that? Does that change how I feel here on Monday morning, okay? So it's moving us to a place of right worship. I'll give you a few quotes about the Psalms. John Calvin in short says, there is no other book in which we're more perfectly taught the right manner of praising God or in which we're more powerfully stirred up to this performance of religious exercise. Tim Keller said, most Western Christians haven't experienced much in the way of violent mistreatment, right? Like growing up as a Christian in America, we're not, we're not persecuted. We don't have enemies that are seeking to hunt us down. We do have enemies. But, and, and we do know in spiritual warfare that we have real enemies. 
uh, but we don't experience this sense of like life and death that people are coming after me at this moment, right? And so he says, most Western Christians haven't experienced much in the way of violent mistreatment, and we should let these Psalms help us feel the desperation and helplessness of those who have, who shouldn't close, we shouldn't close our ears to the cries of the oppressed. Alec Moiter has written, the inspired psalmist knew less about God than we do. Why? Well, because we have the New Testament, right? And so they knew less about God than we do, but they loved him a whole lot more than we do. So man, let's, let's I hope and pray that this journey would uh, really just, build fruit, grow fruit in our lives. One disclaimer I'll say about the Psalms, okay? So we typically walk through Psalms or walk through books of the Bible, and we do that very verse by verse by verse. Um, Obviously, some of the Psalms are longer than others. Um, There is so much here, okay? Which is why I encourage you to read the, the Psalms Throughout the week, like spend time. I encourage you to read on your own. There, I'm after today. You're gonna you're gonna walk away and be like, man, I feel like I got the gist of Psalm 72. But I'm telling you, there is still gold in this passage that needs to be mined out. Okay, we're just touching the surface of Psalm 72, and that's what it's gonna feel like over the next few weeks. One commentator says this, you can never reach or expound exhaustively every facet of each psalm. This is the beauty and frustration of the psalms. One never reaches the bottom of the well from which God's life-giving water flows. There's always new insights to be gained, new moments of understanding to be experienced every time you read the psalms with an open heart and an open mind. Okay, and with that, we're going to jump in Psalm 72. That's where we're going. I want to invite my son Jet up. Jet, come up and uh, grab a seat here. I told him, I said, hey, man, I want you to come up on Sunday. And uh, he's like, do I have to say anything? I was like, nope, you just got to sit there and look pretty. And so look handsome, right? So um, this is my son Jet. And I love my son Jet. I love this guy. I love all my kids. But Jet has, there's a tender part of my heart. I have a tenderness for him because I see a lot of myself in him. Jet has the ability to lead, to protect, to serve, and care for people under him. He is bold. He is courageous, he is wise, and I love him. And my prayer for Jet, my prayer over him is that he would flourish, that he would grow in Christ's likeness, that those under his care and leadership, even now and in the future, would experience the love of Jesus that he has. That they would feel protected in his strength, because he has a strength and a fierceness. He's bold. It doesn't matter. We went to the gym a few weeks ago, and he walked up, and I, I looked down. He's playing basketball with some high schoolers, and he, like, went up to him. and was like, hey, you guys want to play some basketball? And he just jumps right in. Like, there's, there's, he's never met a stranger. I pray that the Lord would give him longevity of life and longevity in whatever ministry. And 
If you've been to our Men and Women's Connect, I've said this, you've heard myself or Amber teach, God gives us gifting, energy, and energy and strength to serve others and not ourselves. And it's easy for us to use the gifts God has given us for our own benefit, or we could spoil it and squander it on meaningless pleasures and pursuits that aren't redemptive in nature. And those temptations are in all of us. But when I see the strength and, and I go, I know my strength. I know, I know what I'm good at. I know how to utilize my strength. I also know how to use my strength on myself. I know how to use my strength for self-preservation. And because I see so much of myself in Jet, I, wanna, I pray more fervently for Jet. I pray for his flourishing and for his encouragement, and for him to be known and, and to know the love of the Father. I'm going to pray for him, and then I want to shape and talk about how this love is brought into this passage of Psalm 72, okay? Father, thank you for my son, Jet. Thank you for the strength that he possesses, the boldness, the courage, Lord, thank you that uh, you have shaped him and crafted him in a way uh, that ultimately leads to other people's flourishing and benefit and growth. And Lord, I pray that he would always be someone who uses the strength that you've given him to help others flourish, to help others thrive, to help others experience the love of the Father. So Lord, give him longevity, help him flourish. And Lord, may I be reminded to pray for him all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, buddy. You can go. I'm going to read this passage to us, and I'm going to read it through three lenses. There's three lenses that I, that I want you to see, and I'm going to read the entire passage each time because I want you to see the lens from a different perspective. The first one I want you to hear it from is listening through the lens of a father, okay? This passage is the prayer of a dad for a son, a dad that knew struggles, a dad that knew temptations, a dad who at many times squandered his strength for his own benefit and for his own gain. And now here he is with a son and going, how do I set him up for success? How do I set up the next generation? So this psalm, Psalm 72, is the prayer of a father over a son. So I want you to hear and I want you to think through the lens of a father. Now, if you're here and you're going, I'm, I'm not a father, I'm a woman. I want you to listen through the through the lens of you are a provider, a caregiver, you are a one who is shepherding, you are one who is leading. That's all of us. All of us. Even Jet has people that he is shepherding, that he is in, in the way to use the term fathering, that he's leading, that he's protecting. We all have a sense of going, who is it that we're responsible for? That's one of the questions we've, we've talked about in Men's and Women's Connect. A lot of time we, we tend to go to our kids I'm responsible for my kids. Um, I'm thankful for those who have come and shared, and, and uh, they're either uh, 
aren't, aren't able to have kids or don't have kids yet and hear their responsibility of going, I'm responsible for brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm responsible for uh, my brothers and sisters in blood. I'm, I'm responsible for maybe people who work under me that I employ. I'm respons- there's a lot. I'm responsible for my neighbors. There's, there's a responsibility And I love that because this is a picture of responsibility. The father has responsibility in this. So I want you to listen to Psalm 72. This is the prayer of a father. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people and give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout generations. May he Be like the rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be be made for him continually and blessings invoked from him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the tops of mountains. May it wave. May its fruits be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him and all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, a father, who is the son of Jesse, are ended. Listening through the lens of a father, a father, a leader, a shepherd, someone who is, is seeking the flourishing. When, when he makes these prayers for Solomon, when he, he prays this, it's something that ultimately in his own mind and on his own heart, these are the desires of his heart even. As a father, as a leader, as a protector, as someone who is a, an overseer of those underneath him, of those of us who experience that there's a flock of people that I'm responsible for, we want people under us to flourish, to flourish, to grow, to be developed. We want to pray for their righteousness and protection. And here's what I would say in the lens of a father, and I think what's modeled for us in this passage I believe that we have a responsibility to raise up the next generation. 
We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to invest in the next generation that under the next generation that there would be flourishing. Now, how many of us look around and we think about the current cultural climate in which we live and go, you know what? It's a place of flourishing. It's a place where injustices are are being dealt with, the poor and needy are being cared for, and you're going, it's not happening. And here's what I would tell you is no worldly government system structure has ever done this well. And it won't be until Jesus is fully, he is ruling and reigning, but where that is experienced, where we are fully under the rule and reign of Christ, that will we experience the fullness of this passage. Every world leader that comes as a father, as a leader, ends up squandering their strength on worldly pursuits or using it to platform themselves. But here's a prayer of a father invested engaged in the next generation. Here's what I would say. Church family, hear me. We will have a lot of orphans if we don't become spiritual fathers to the next generation. That's all of us. We will have a lot of orphans if we don't all become spiritual fathers. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 says, this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We need fathers. There's a lot of guides. There's a lot of people telling us what we need to do, what's best, what's most successful. Here's what's helping. A lot of people on YouTube want to tell you how to get your your life wealthy, quick, rich. Here's, here's, you know, all the things you need. Pull this lever, pull this trick, and everything's going to be awesome. And the reality is, is the flourishing that's experienced in this passage is still not happening. And we have all this knowledge and wisdom in all the world and more ways to share it. and, And we're still failing. Because we don't have fathers. We need spiritual parents. We need spiritual people who are going to invest in the next generation. John Eldridge in his book, Fathered by God, says this. We often speak of a man who's done this successfully, like become a man, as a self-made man. And that, in many ways, what he's saying is like, we, that that becomes a badge of honor in some ways. That we're, we're like, I'm a self-made man. Like, I figured out life on my own. I, I, I've, I've pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. Like, this is, I became, I am who I am today because no one helped me and I got to work. It says, this appellation, that title, self-made man, is usually spoken with a sense of admiration, Right? But really, it should be said in the same tones we might use of the dearly departed or of a man who recently lost an arm with sadness and regret. What the term really means is an orphaned man who figured out how to master some part of his life on his own. We need fathers. And we need to be the spiritual parents to the next generation. When I read this passage of a dad praying for his son. It heightens my responsibility for the next generation. 
We go back in 1 Kings chapter 2. Interesting enough, last week we read 1 Kings chapter 1. And the reason we kicked back to 1 Kings chapter 1 is David was there. And uh, I think it's Nathan and Bathsheba come to David on his deathbed. And, and they're like, hey, you know, they're, they're, about to, they're about to call someone else king. And you, you've given that to your son Solomon. We need to make sure. And he's like, give him my donkey. And he rides into town. We talked about that last week. Well, in 1 Kings chapter 2, David is on his deathbed. And we see the final words that he is passing on to his son Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 2, 1 through 4. When David's time to draw to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your son pays close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So here he, he prays for him. And he's passing on these words of wisdom. He's saying, this is the kind of man I want you to be. And then we go on and we read in Psalm 72, this is the prayer. And was he not praying these very same things as 1 Kings chapter 2? Praying that he would walk in the ways of the Lord. Praying that he would, would follow, that he'd be a man of righteousness. And that people would flourish under him. Maybe a question, what are you praying for the next generation? Do you see that you have a role in the next generation? That we have a responsibility as a, as a Christian, you have brothers and sisters in Christ that you're meant to be invested in, not passively spectating, not passively standing by. You are called to engage. What are you praying for? It leads to righteousness it leads to injustice being delivered. It leads to prospering. It leads to flourishing. Now, I want you to listen through the lens of a son. Your son. And this is someone making prayers for you. This prayer is for you. This prayer, this prayer is for your flourishing and for your benefit. Give the king, fill in your name. Give Justin your justice, O oh God. Give Justin your righteousness. He's the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity with people and the hills and righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people and give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May he fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. 
May he have dominion from sea to sea and from river to the and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Saba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls. The, per, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayers be made continually for him and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be an abundance of grain in the land on tops of mountains. May it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the cities. Like the grass of the field, may his name endure forever. May his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him and all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. This is a prayer over you. I want you to imagine that. What would it look like? What would it look like to have a dad that invested in you? I think if we were to pull the room, I'm sure there's, there's many of us who maybe that wasn't our story. That we think back and we, we go, you know, our, our picture of our father is not one who is invested in us, one who is longing for our growth and development, not longing to, to cause us to flourish and to be successful. And, and that ultimately that, that we would be moved to a posture and place that, that people would want to bring gifts and serve because they're flourishing under our leadership and guidance. To think about that you, you have a dad that invested in you. My dad loved me. My dad supported me. But I can't necessarily say that I ever had a prayer voiced over me from my, from my father. I don't know what in, in many ways that I could be able to recount that I have any words or anything that, that I go, were the desires of my father for my life. And while many of us, that's probably our, our experience. We have God the Father, who is a perfect picture of one who desires to see you flourish one who is praying for your protection, one who is praying for your provision, one who is seeking out the best he has in mind for you. John Eldridge, I've been weighing through this book, so this is, it's been a lot that's been on my mind. But he says this, you are the son of a kind Strong and engaged father. A father wise enough to guide you in the way. 
generous enough to provide for your journey, offering to walk with you every step. His first act of provision happened before you were even born, when he rescued you through his life, death, and resurrection of our elder brother, Jesus of Nazareth. Then he called you to himself. This is perhaps the hardest thing for us to believe, really believe, deep down in our hearts, that we would believe it to the level that it forever changes the way we approach each day. That you have a father that loves you that much. Third lens. I want you to listen through the lens of the people. The people who are experiencing this type of king. Okay? I want you to think You're not the father who's invested and pouring down. You're not the son who's receiving this great benefit of of this prayer and provision and kindness and love. But you're a part of the people that are under a king that are experiencing prosperity, experiencing injustices being served, and and you're, you're flourishing. I want you to experience, listen to this through that lens. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout the generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound so the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and he saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba and Sheba be given to him. May prayers be made for him continually. And blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be an abundance of grain in the land on the tops of mountains. May it wave. May its fruits be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities. Like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him, all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. What does it look like to be led by a king like this? That we are, we under, imagine being a recipient of being led by such wisdom, power, and strength. Would you feel secure? Would you feel protected? Would you feel cared for knowing that you have a defender and a deliverer 
who reigns? What would it look like to be led by a king who leads to flourishing? To flourishing. For many of us, a lot of our image that we portray and like our trusting of a king falls on human kings and human kings in many ways have failed. Human authority in in many ways has failed. We think about church leadership in many ways uh, from pastoral authority. So much has been abused. So much has squandered. Too many leaders working for their own selfish game, seeking to gain a platform, using people rather than giving to people. And we've seen this over and over and over again that moves us and postures us in a place that we say, I don't know that I can trust. I don't know that I'm going to allow them to be my defender, my deliverer. But when we read in the Bible that there is one who does this, I think we all long for that king. We all long for a better king, a king that reconciles nation, a king that eliminates poverty and injustice. And here's what I would say to us this morning. That king is King Jesus. The ultimate fulfillment of this passage is King Jesus. He is the perfect fulfillment of this psalm. And the response is Psalm 72, verse 10 and 11. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Saba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him and worship him and, and, and the nations serve him. The, the point is, is when we truly recognize that king, when we truly experience that type of king, all other kings bow down to him. All the nations bow down to him and worship him. So what's our response to this passage this morning? One, we long, we long for a king. I would tell you that king is King Jesus. And I would say, let him be king over your life. Let him be king over your life. He's the king we're all looking for. A king that has all authority. He directs our lives. We surrender our rights. We let him be God. We let him be king. And we give him everything. I preached a sermon years ago to students and ultimately led to the question, what does God want from you? And I said, Luke chapter 14, verse 33, I think describes it very clearly. Therefore, If any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, you cannot be my disciple. Can't be be his disciple. We can't, can't be a part of his family. If we don't renounce all that we have, if we don't move to a place and posture of calling him king and giving him over all authority of over every aspect of our lives, we can't be his disciple. To renounce means to bid farewell to or to surrender. So I'll read that. So therefore, if any of you who does not bid farewell to all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. So therefore, if any one of you who does not surrender all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Here's what I'd say. Jesus wants it all. He wants it all. He wants total 
surrender. He wants to be king over every aspect of your life. And what's the result? The result is Psalm 72. He's the perfect fulfillment. The result is, is when we give over, we surrender, we renounce all that we have and give it over to King Jesus, it leads to our flourishing. The tendency for many of us is, is we go, you know, is he trustworthy? Why would I trust him? Why would I give him everything? Can I trust him with my life? How do I know that I can trust him? I'd say first and foremost is he defeated Satan, sin, and death. Jesus Christ defeated the most powerful things that no other man or deity could ever defeat. Satan, sin, and death. He's powerful. I would also say he is absolutely in love with you. He loves you. That's why you can trust him with your stuff. That's why you can trust him with your life. That's why you can trust him with your relationships. That's why you can trust him with your future. He loves you. But he calls us to surrender it to him. So I went last night and I kind of, I was trying to dig up this old sermon and I, I found uh, the actual sermon script that I preached probably 15 years ago to a group of students. And I talked about if in that sermon, if he's truly king, if he's truly a king that leads to flourishing, if he's trustworthy and, and to be his disciple means we got to sur- surrender all of life. What is all of life? And are there parts of life that I'm holding on to that I'm unwilling to surrender? And so I kind of brought up this sheet. I think we have it on the screen. It's super small. Probably can't read it. I'll post it somewhere and you can have it. But um, I want to read some of these. I surrender the right to have a healthy and attractive body. I, have, I, I surrender the right to function in strength of mind, emotions, and will. I surrender the right to plan my future. I surrender the right to live where I want to live. I surrender the right to be married, to have a mate, to have a home, to have children. I surrender the right to date, to have a boyfriend, a girlfriend. I surrender the right to choose my recreation or entertainment. I surrender the right to be successful in my job or career. I surrender the right to cling to my past with its successes, failures, or hurts. I surrender my right to have any habits, have my habits. I surrender the right to own anything. I surrender my right to protect my time. I surrender the right to have a good reputation. I surrender the right to defy authority. I surrender the right to uh, gain acceptance from others. I surrender the right to always know the will of God. I surrender the right to have a happy marriage, home, family, or work environment. I surrender the right to escape problems, difficulties, or tragedies. I surrender the right to take offense. I surrender the right to avoid reaping what I sow. I surrender the right to being always right. I surrender the right to being loved. I surrender the right to have invisible security. I surrender the right to be used of God to see results. I surrender the right 
to see results. I surrender the right to demand anything from God. He doesn't owe me anything. And I surrender the right not to follow his command to be baptized. I give God permission to do anything he wishes to me, with me, in me, through me, that would glorify him. I claim these rights as once mine, but then he became my king. Everything I now have all belongs to him. I give him control. He can do with them what he wants and anything he pleases. I know that this does not eliminate my responsibilities nor obedience to him or his word. And sign it. My question is, is could we sign that? Could we truly come to a place in life that we sign it? And here's what I would say. To the extent maybe we're still holding on or to the extent where we go, you know what, I can't put ink to this paper. I think correlates with how we know him as king. Under him, under his lordship, under his guidance, everything flourishes. Do you trust him? Let's pray. And invite the worship team to, to come up this morning as we pray together. Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us in the next few moments to reflect, to respond. Lord, what is it that we are holding on to? That we are, we are still grasping and trying to gain control over that you want to set us free from, that you are showing us that if we will entrust that not only will we give over everything, but all, if we truly recognize you as king, all nations, all kings, all people would come and bring you gifts. All people would come and surrender all to you because you are the only one worthy of that. And so, Lord, would you work in this passage? Help us release our own lording over our things and set us free this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask and pray and just uh, for you in the next few moments. My, my heart and my prayer for you is that you'd just be able to reflect, to respond. To see the, the role in which we have. We look in this passage of going, and the, the love a father has for a son. What it looks like to be a son and experience the love of the father. And then what it looks like for us to know that we have a good father who loves us and cares for us. But we also have King Jesus who rules and reigns. He's worthy of all. So I don't know where the Holy Spirit is convicting you or moving you or, or uh, challenging you this morning. But uh, maybe there's something in your life that you go, you know what, I'm, I'm holding on to this too, too tightly and I need to bring this and put it at the feet of Jesus. I need to give it to Jesus today no longer having control over it. I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come forward. They're gonna be in the front uh, corners of the room here. And maybe there's just encouragement. There, you need people to come and pray for you this morning in releasing your grip and, and hold on these things and saying, hey, I give that over to you. Would you do that this morning? If you have any other prayer need, anything else that's just weighing on your heart this morning, Maybe as you experience like, man, I, I want to know I'm loved by the Father that way. Would you come forward? Would you allow us to pray for you, encourage you?
this morning. Let's stand together. Let's sing together. Anyone who has prayer, let us come. Let us be an encouragement to you as the body of Christ this morning.